And I'd like to welcome you to our panel discussion, which is 2016, brought to you by donors. And we have four very <coughs> prominent donors, two Republicans, two Democrats, on the stage right here with us, something that doesn't happen too terribly often. So uh, with that, I'd just like to briefly introduce uh, the four of them to you. I have immediately on my left uh, Toby Neugbauer, who uh, is co-founder of Quantum Energy Partners, an energy investment firm, which he did in 1998. Uh, his father is a former uh, representative, uh, served many years in Congress. And uh, he's somebody who, uh, before supporting Donald Trump's run, was a uh, major supporter of Ted Cruz's presidential campaign. Ted Cruz, who will be speaking here later today, and made a little bit of news yesterday when he said that he, too, will be supporting Donald Trump. Amy Boone Cunningham, uh, an Austin-based philanthropist who's worked to raise money for Democratic candidates and political organizations for many years. She serves on the board, uh, among many boards, Planned Parenthood, Emily's List, Annie's List, and the Boone Family Foundation. Uh, she founded uh, Planned Parenthood Texas Votes, uh, which is a political organization, and uh, was a major contributor to former State Senator Wendy Davis's gubernatorial campaign in 2014. Wendy Davis, who's been at TribFest uh, a couple of times now. Uh, again, going down the row on the left, uh, Doug Deason, who served as president is Deason Capital Services, LLC, and he has managed his family's assets in an array of investments, including oil and gas since, uh, since 2009. Uh, Prior to that, commercial builder, and uh, he is somebody who is a big supporter of uh, former Governor Rick Perry during his presidential campaign, and uh, he also was a supporter of Ted Cruz until becoming a supporter of Donald Trump as well. This is what happens when you have about 72 Republican presidential candidates running in an election. And then finally, Amber Mostyn, uh, farthest on the left, uh, and Amber is a Houston-based trial... I don't know. It, it might be true. <laughs> I may be farthest on the left. I don't know. That, that's they put 50, me on 50. the right for the reasons. Yeah, that, yeah. We, that was planned. Amy and Amber, you guys can debate that after yeah, whether, okay. whether yeah. one is farther than, than the other. I'm right uh, center, so I should be your idea. Perfect. Yeah, we, we want to re redo the seating now. Okay, fair enough. Donors. Yeah. Well, Amber uh, is a trial lawyer and shareholder at Moston Law, and uh, she is based out of Houston, uh, and she's contributed to Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in a major way and uh, has been a major supporter of democratic causes uh, all across the map. Uh, she was a, for Hillary Clinton, a for Hillary PAC, which is a super PAC that uh, was supporting Hillary Clinton before Hillary Clinton was a presidential candidate and uh, definitely uh, something that was an innovation of sorts during the 2016 election cycle. Uh, previously, she served as chairwoman of Annie's List and that too, again, is a group dedicated to funding democratic female Candidates, please give a round of applause to our panel. So I get asked this question a lot, which is, well, you all have a lot of money. You could do many things with that money. And in many cases, you do lots of things with that money. Why spend so much time and your resources on politics, particularly when you have a whole variety of new uh, exotic organizations like super PACs and politically active nonprofits, is it worth it to you? Toby. Well, I knew you were going to ask that question, and I, I woke up thinking about it. I think, you know, I, I think about probably all of us spend the time in terms of how much we want to allocate to the political and how much we want to 
allocate to uh, uh, politics. For me, talking specifically about presidential, to me, that's an aspirational investment. So you, you choose uh, to make an investment in someone you think represent what you, where the direction of the country you would like it move. So it's not about, hey, I want to get this issue, hire lobbyists for that. So my investment in 2016 was an aspirational investment in that there were things that the senator, that Ted supported that I thought would be beneficial for the country, not in an individual, but just a vision of what, what the country should, should move towards. And for the audience's benefit, you put in about $10 million into a family of super PACs that was supporting Ted Cruz. Now, much of that money came back to you ultimately, but, but why did you make that $10 million investment uh, straight up? Well, you know, I put together the, the, the family, and uh, so I originally did that as being taken serious. What's interesting is the two top Republicans were the ones that were taken by the media and the experts taken serious the least, mm -hmm. and most thought that neither one of them had a chance. And I felt like if we could raise a significant amount of money, uh, that Ted's campaign would be taken very seriously, very early. Well, we'll get and back to the issue oh, of, of, uh, of your super PACs, but uh, just Go going ahead, down the line, same question, Amy, uh, is, it, is it worth it? Uh, why, why do you do it? Well, the reason that I do it is because, um, first of all, as a Democrat, I believe that government has a role in making people's lives better. Um, for me, the issue that is most compelling is women's access to reproductive health care, um, including abortion. And the people who are in office make a difference on what kind of access women have to health care across the country. And that is why I have been involved in politics for 12 years now, um, why I've given a lot of time and been lucky to give resources, because I feel like to get the kind of policy outcomes that um, lift up women and families across the country, we have to have in place elected officials who understand the issues um, and who are willing to take action on these important issues. Now, same question, Doug, and by way of background, uh, your family has been incredibly active this election cycle. You've made personal contributions. Your father has made contributions, Darwin, in, in the millions of dollars. Uh, do, you, do you see a direct benefit uh, from, from all of this? Well, first, I'd like to say that after seeing Toby's pants and shoes, I decided to join the Democrat Party. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so I may not be a good commentator from here on. Um, the, if you can't the, see uh, it, it's, it's blue suede. Yeah, yeah those are blue suede. That, that's <laughs> some awesome shoes. Nice. The reason I own those is your fault, so. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. The, uh, uh, you know, is it worth it? I, I don't know. You know, what we do is, I'm not a big super PAC uh, believer and supporter. You know, there's certainly been instances where they worked and they helped. What we try to do is, is uh, donate directly to the candidates. And we get, I get calls every single day from all over the country, as I'm sure everyone on this <laughs> stage does, not only from candidates, from super PACs and different groups, senators who are representing super PACs. You know, I could get lists, is, it's unbelievable. And a lot of them are, you know, they're just bogus and, and they're, they're scams designed to take our money away from us, you know. And, and so we're very careful, we're very active in, uh, in what we do. And, and we like to donate directly to the candidates. So we've maxed out for a, a 15 or 16 uh, senatorial campaigns. Uh, no, no, 12 in South Texas, 16 congressional 
campaigns. And we look at the swing districts like Will Hurd in South Texas, uh, uh, let's see, Elise Stefanik in upstate New York, and then Kelly Ayotte in New Hampshire. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fiscally conservative, socially moderate, so there are probably a lot of things I agree with both of you on, maybe not the way we get there necessarily, and I certainly think there's a role for government. But, you know, part of what we're trying to do is restrain government from, from too much control. Um, but again, just as back to the question on the money, I think, I think it is worth it. It's, it's, a, uh, it's not that I enjoy it, it's a means to an end, but somebody's got to do it. And just to be clear, your, your family writ large has made sizable contributions to super PACs this election cycle. Is that out of political pragmatism and necessity, or, or is it something else? Well, like <laughs> Toby, I mean, we, you know, we gave Governor Perry five, and, and it was, we put it in our own super PAC, the, the, and then there was an operating super PAC, and he had to, we gave him challenges to hit certain goals. And he didn't hit him, as we all know. And uh, now he's dancing. So we, uh, we got all but 110,000 back. So we put five million in, and when he dropped out, you know, we got uh, 4.89 million back, and it took five days. Now there were articles all over the country about how we were pissed off, we wanted our money back, which was, couldn't have been further from the truth. We knew it was coming back. We were completely not concerned about it because we controlled the pack. Now, Amber, you, uh, you with your husband have uh, donated, uh, I believe, a million dollars at this juncture to Priorities USA Action, which is the, uh, the biggest super PAC supporting Hillary Clinton's presidency. Uh, this has been a super PAC that has been way out in front of all other presidential super PACs, left, right, red, blue, up, down, uh, and has, has been really a, an attack operation to a large degree uh, battling Donald Trump. A uh, million dollars is not chump change. Uh, do you feel like you've gotten a return on your investment uh, from that million dollars and whatever else you may put in between now and the end of the election? Well, the way Steve and I look at political giving is very similar to the way I think a lot of people look at charitable giving. Uh, we, we give to politicians' efforts when we believe in the cause that they're promoting and the goodness that that cause will deliver. Um, we try as, as much as possible to really focus more on policy and not politicians. Um, coming at it from a little different standpoint than, than Doug does, um, we really try to discipline ourselves to donate to organizations and campaigns that are, will commit to be progressive and will commit to the vision that we have of, of America. Unfortunately, in these election cycles, I think you know uh, super PACs, they're there. You have to deal with them. We donated early to priorities in Obama's um, last campaign, and um, they were able to do some good early work to help define the campaign and the candidates, and I think priorities has helped do that again this time. So, um, you know, we just, we, when you look at what a, an individual donor can do, because we get the, the comment a lot of times, well, why don't you just give the money to charity? Mm -hmm. If you care about education, if you care about health care, just give the money to charity. Uh, and you look at the amount of money that governments control and the elected officials, therefore, it, it pales in comparison $5 billion, pales what we can do as individual donors. So, for example, in Texas, you had the $5 billion cut to education. Uh, all of us put together cannot make up that right. difference. And so you, you have to donate to the, to the politicians who will support the policies that you see as a good cause and as, as 
um, delivering the vision of the country that you want to see. Well, Amber and, and Amy, please weigh in too. Uh, Hillary Clinton from the get-go has said, I've, I've got four fights in this campaign. And one of those four fights uh, is campaign finance reform. She's been on record uh, very, very solidly saying that she would seek a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United, which we'll also get to later about the merits of that. Uh, but for the purposes of, of this question, you know, you're writing a big check to, to a super PAC or, or you're raising money that's going to benefit an organization that is not controlled by the candidate in the campaign that you're supporting. When the Democrats have been so far out in front uh, when it comes to reform efforts of campaign finance and wanting to get rid of super PACs and wanting to overturn Citizens United, I mean, do you feel dirty when you write that check? Uh, is it something that, that you just have to, you know, kind of swallow hard and say, all right, I'm just going to do this because I have to, or, or is it just politics the way that they're played in 2016? Doug I, looks like he's anxious for yeah, the answer. Yeah, I want to hear that one. Uh, no, no, I don't. I mean, I, I um, agree that we need campaign finance reform. I'm not certain what form it should take, and I think we should, you know, take those steps slowly and, and very methodically to figure out what it looks like moving forward. But anybody who's been very seriously involved in campaigns knows that it, it's virtually impossible to run a presidential campaign on $2,700 donations and really be able to get a message out in this day and age. So I would love you know, some sort of campaign finance reform. I think the most important thing is transparency. And that is the big problem with this, a lot of the super PACs these days, is there's not enough transparency. I agree with what Amber said, and I think that, that for me, I feel like making these donations now is a means to an end. Um, and that end includes meaningful campaign finance reform, because, I mean, look at those of us on this stage. We're all white. <laughs> Two of us are women, both the Democrats. Good job, um, Trib Fest. <laughs> But when you look overall at the people who are giving large sums of money to super PACs, it is a majority, and before this election, it was a significant majority of men. Um, there are more women engaged at this level now. I do think Hillary Clinton's been a big part of that, although certainly Republican women are stepping up in this way too. Um, but I view not justly white and clearly very wealthy group of people. It is, in my view, not just that that tiny slice of society gets to have free speech that is so much louder than everyone else's. Um, and so to me, being able to support candidates like Hillary Clinton, who advocate, among the other issues I care about, for meaningful campaign finance reform is critically important for the cause of justice and for our democracy. Well, just very quickly, and I'll get to you, Toby. Uh, somebody last night said, and, and I'll quote, a handful of rich people shouldn't decide who the next president of the United States is. Uh, you might think that Bernie Sanders was speaking at the Tribune Fest. In fact, that was John Kasich uh, who said that too. Uh, yeah, Toby, um, playing off what, what Amy said, uh, is, is this something where uh, there's a problem with the system, either structurally because people can just simply donate whatever they want, or, or almost more socioeconomically, where uh, you know, if you got a lot of money, it just so happens to be a lot of rich white men a lot of time who have that resource to put into politics or choose to put those resources into politics. Is this a problem, uh, or, or is it? I think Bernie Sanders. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, Bernie Sanders lost the race because of uh, super delegates in the Democratic Party, not large uh, uh, 
large donors. And uh, Bernie Sanders is exhibit A, in my view, of someone who shows that you can be a very, very competitive person. And that same resource that he raised in the uh, Democrat, the numbers that he raised, uh, would have unequivocally probably won the Republican. And I think the big story of 2016 is the power of the small dollar donor. Uh, and that, that really, when I got involved with Ted early, like day one, you know, the thing I was the most passionate about was the small dollar uh, operation. And Ted raised $94 million uh, through small dollar donations. I, if that number's within that range. And uh, that was 30% uh, more than Mitt Romney, who depended upon large dollar donors. And there's no fact check, you're, you're pretty close. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 as a, good, as a fact check. So I think this 2016 was actually the day, the, the, the year that us on the stage, uh, our ability to influence was dramatically um, uh, in, uh, impaired. I think that is for the positive. The story of 2016 is unequivocally the power of the small dollar donation. Well, Doug, uh, Donald Trump himself has come out and said that super PACs are scams, quote, uh, and he said plenty of other things about money in politics, big money in politics, uh, that uh, you wouldn't necessarily expect from uh, Republican candidates uh, if you want to stereotype Republican candidates when they talk about big money in politics. Yet, at the same time, too, he has run a very different type of campaign operation over the past few months as the general election has heated mm -hmm. up compared to the I am a self-funded candidate, I'm my own billionaire, I, I'm not beholden to anyone, Sheldon Adelson can keep his money, et cetera, et cetera. That is not the case anymore. Uh, has it been difficult for Donald Trump, uh, in your opinion, reconciling the Donald Trump of the primary versus the Donald Trump of the general election? Because right now, he's getting his hat handed to him financially by Hillary Clinton's operation, which has more money in the campaign, has more money through super PACs, and Donald Trump is playing way from behind right now, in part because he hasn't put quite as much of his own money in as perhaps people would have thought he had. But essentially, he's tied in the national polls mm -hmm. and the leading in some of the, the swing states, and he hasn't spent that money. So that's pretty impressive. So I think that shows how little impact money really has on uh, uh, political races. You know, the, the point is, if, if with, with the money in politics, if it were all fair and he didn't have unions, you know, and unions have always been able to spend money. And they, they were, a, a, you know, effectively PACs before PACs were invented because they, you know, they can take money out of the paychecks of, of their union members or, and even in a lot of states, non-union members, and then put that towards political causes and specifically to support uh, certain candidates and usually the Democrats because, you know, they support uh, union unions and unionized labor. So, it, you know, a lot of ways, that's why PACs were invented and, and, and they're done, used. If it was all fair and everyone was limited, then I'm all for campaign finance reform. But if it's going to be, go back to the old way where uh, uh, only unions get to spend the money, you know, collect the money, collect the dues, and spend it in a collective way, that's not fair. What's now, fair about that? Now, for the benefit of people who are not intimately familiar with the legal details of super PACs and whatnot, super PACs can raise and spend unlimited amounts of money to advocate for and against candidates. They mm -hmm. can't be directly commanded and controlled by the candidates right. themselves. Now, one question that loomed large over this election was what were the Koch brothers going to do? Of course, the Koch brothers mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. very, very involved in uh, the last presidential election. Uh, they have chosen at this point uh, to, to 
their retreats. You've talked to them. I believe that you've even mm -hmm. written a letter to them uh, recommending that they get involved in the presidential race. Uh, when you talk about transparency, have you given money to any of the operations that they run that are not super PACs that are still involved in politics, uh, Americans for Prosperity, yeah, Freedom yeah, no, Partners? Yeah, have. So how I mean, does that I'll, work, and, and how does that gel with okay. the notion of transparency? So, so we've been involved in the, with the uh, Freedom Partners and the Charles Koch, or in the Koch, uh, what they call it, Chamber of Commerce, for uh, probably five years. Um, you know, we've donated you know, every year hundreds to millions of dollars to, to various programs. Most of what we do is more community outreach programs to try and help lift the poor from, uh, uh, from poverty. Uh, after 52 years of, of failed war on poverty where, you know, people just get paid to lay in the ditch. We're trying to empower them to lift themselves out of the ditch. Um, but also there's a political component to it. They, uh, they, they got involved in a lot more than they wanted to. They got kind of, frankly, Charles and David got drugged, kicking and screaming into the, uh, uh, what, the 2012 election? Is that right? Yeah, 2012 when uh, Obama got reelected. Uh, I wasn't there. Okay, just making sure. Well, no, but the, when Obama got reelected, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't fun. And it, frankly, it wasn't even fun to, to go and watch that because we look at, at it as a war, not a battle, right? And so, um, they started fighting the battle, and that was went against everything that they're about and what they believe in, and they saw the light. I mean, they spent all, they raised all this money, they spent all this money, and, and it didn't help. Obama still won, and so they, you know, that's just not what it's, it's not about the, for us, for them, it's not about the individual politician or one election. It's a long, and I think you guys probably are that way as well from what I've heard you say. It's a long-term strategy, and, you know, we all want to help the poor. Right? It's just, and I don't mean the people on this stage necessarily, but the leadership of the Democratic Party, in my mind, are, you know, they, they want to keep them there and pay them because they get the votes. If they rise out of poverty and they're successful and they realize, geez, 40 to 50% of my income is going to pay for lousy government services, then they're going to get smart and come to the Republican Party. Well, one so, quick follow up, and then I'll let your okay. uh, Democratic colleagues uh, here weigh in. Okay. Uh, but the Democrats, for, for years leading up to this election, ha have, have been just blasting their supporters with, with the notion that this apoplectic, apocalyptic view of the Koch brothers' oligarchy taking over the United States in, in all politics. Uh, of course, that didn't come to pass. But in your opinion, do you think it was a mistake for the Koch brothers to just step out and, and not support Donald Trump and put their incredible resources uh, into the presidential campaign? No, not at all. all. All I asked Charles to do, Dad asked him, I asked him, he and I talked, we were in Colorado Springs in uh, July, into July, early August. And what I talked to him about was just to come out and say he was gonna, you know, maybe meet with Trump, because one, he has some great ideas, so maybe he could help influence some policy there. Number two, just come out and say he's gonna vote for him. You know, we all know he's not gonna vote for Hillary, so, just say you're going to vote for him and let people know that. I think he has a lot of influence in Republican circles. And I think even though he's not technically a Republican, and I think he would, uh, it would help influence people. Um, but no, I don't, I don't want our organization to get involved in presidential politics and in general politics. Well, yeah. Amy, were you doing a, a happy dance when you found out that, uh, that the Koch brothers were going to step out of the presidential race? I mean, what was it like for Democrats finding out that, that after thinking they are going to be the biggest financial 
players on the block uh, that, that just simply they were, they were going to look elsewhere. Not to say that the Senate battle is anything insignificant because it is incredibly important, but obviously with the focus being on the presidential race, they're, they're not players on the field right now. How big a deal is that for Democrats and Hillary Clinton? I can certainly understand, um, as a Republican, not feeling particularly enthusiastic about uh, the presidential candidate right now. So I uh, wouldn't say that, you know, thinking, I obviously don't know the Koch brothers at all, but um, thinking about how they might feel as committed Republicans about the man who's now their nominee, um, perhaps that's not a huge surprise. Um, but I think that going into this election, um, I always felt like we knew what the Senate map was going to be. We knew that because of where the country is, this was going to be a close and competitive presidential campaign, regardless of who the candidates would be. Um, and so from my view, it's always been about what we as a party need to do to communicate to voters um, and to mobilize the voters who are really moved by the issues that the Democratic Party stands for right now, whether that's women's access to health care, um, marriage equality and LGBT rights, fully funded public school education uh, for all children who need it. I mean, those are the kinds of things that we need to talk to voters about. So I would say for me, both as a donor and um, as a political junkie, that is a little bit of background noise in the campaign in terms of who's paying for what. And let's just get out there and talk about the issues. Well, let, let's talk about Citizens United. I think this is something that uh, people hear a lot about. Uh, not maybe know some people know more about what it means uh, in the here and now uh, than than others, but. You know, effectively, it, it, it changed the, the rules of the game for how money may flow into elections. Uh, super PACs flowed out of that decision. Uh, Amber, I'm curious if, if you think that it is realistic or even wise for Hillary Clinton uh, to say that, uh, that Citizens United should be overturned through a constitutional amendment. You have plenty of people, both on the left and the right, who are massively concerned about uh, unintended consequences, mm -hmm. free speech implications that, that such a constitutional amendment uh, would, would entail. I know you said you don't have a prescription for how the system should be, but from a political standpoint, is, is, is this just Hillary Clinton uh, kind of playing to the base of her base here by doing this, or, or do you think uh, do you take her at her word that she's serious about doing this? Well, I'm going to take a quote from President Obama. I think that's above my pay grade. Like I really, I really don't. But you have, have a pretty high pay grade here well, in, in I this mean, election. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Um, no, I, but but in that regard, I I you know, have talked to many people on both the right and the left who do see a problem with the way our current system is, is working. And, um, and, and, but, and to Toby's point, and I think Doug made this point as well, in 2016 we have seen a tremendous number, and unprecedented numbers, of small donors. And so I think a lot of study will have to be done what the effects of the super PACs were at the end of the day. I'm not going to say whether I think a uh, position she's taken is unwise in that regard. Um, her policies are generally pretty well thought out, and uh, she usually gives um, her, her reasoning for that. But I, I've also always known her to be a politician, unlike the picture that is painted in the media, who is willing to work with both sides of the aisle and listen to others about what their, um, you know, what their thoughts would be on moving forward on a constitutional amendment. Truly, I, for me, the most important thing is transparency. 
um, if if we can or cannot do away with Citizens United, if if they if you know there are people who think public financing of campaigns is the best way to go. Regardless, there there needs to be transparency and who is supporting not just a candidate but the parties and the and the independent expenditures that get done on those parts. And most of what I know about Citizens United, I learned from Stephen Colbert. So he <laughs> <laughs> formed his own super PAC to, yeah, exactly. to basically discuss. Formed all his own super PAC on on television. Um, but, but I do want to get back to the point about engagement in the process this year of, of smaller donors, at least, not super PAC donors. And, and a really telling statistic for me is the amount of women that have contributed in this election cycle as compared to others. More than half for Hillary Clinton. Uh, uh, yeah. And compared to about 47% for President Obama in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, we're talking about super PACs. In 2010, only about 1% of your super PAC donors were women. In 2016, it's about 20%. Well, one quick follow-up, and then, Toby, I'll come to you. Uh, do you think that the Hillary Clinton super PAC should be more transparent? Because in some cases, they've received millions of dollars from sources that you, you can't trace back to a flesh and blood human being. They're coming from a nonprofit organization where you don't know, they don't have to reveal their donors, or LLCs that are uh, registered in Delaware, which is effectively a black box. Uh, should, is a campaign being hypocritical, uh, or the campaign writ large, with these super PACs taking money from sources that will never show up necessarily with a name on it on some report filed with the Federal Election Commission? I think all of the campaigns and all of the organizations are playing by the rules that we have right now. And um, I'm, I'm always for transparency. Toby, are, are Democrats trying to have it both ways? They are. Clearly, we set out in the cruise world that we were not going to take this LLC approach and that, uh, that, that we were going to be completely uh, transparent from the very beginning. And I do think there's a media double standard. I think you'll, you'll, you'll look at, uh, think if Ted or if Jeb would have gotten money, and in fact, very little of the money, maybe one or two of Jeb's donors, but then they all immediately retract because of the, uh, the media attention that they get if it's a Republican who's trying to, to hide their support. So we, we started out knowing what, that we could do that, and we did not engage in that activity at all. Now, how much blowback did you get? Because we talked about this uh, briefly earlier. Uh, you put in about $10 million into a family of super PACs that, that was supporting Senator Cruz. Uh, ultimately, uh, you got uh, some flack from Cruz supporters saying, well, hey, why isn't Toby spending his money here? Uh, because the, the PAC largely didn't. Uh, what happened there in, in wild? Because did, did you regret I, that I, decision? I, oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I look back and think, gosh, I've made really good decisions because the real point of this is, is the super PACs had zero impact on the 2016 cycle. And uh, the political consulting class uh, is- For all candidates? I can't, I, I don't think it helped Hillary. I don't, so on the Democratic side, clearly Bernie Sanders was funded with small dollar donations. Uh, and I don't think, uh, I think, you know, TV in of itself uh, is going to be under, significant review. There's already a significant amount of academic research that shows that it's even negative correlated in places like Iowa. And so from my perspective is when I see something that is not working, I don't want to just throw money away so that I don't get someone saying something bad about me in the press. Well, you said earlier this year in, in, in explaining uh, this, uh, and I paraphrase here, sure. you, you said that we need to build Ted Cruz up and that yes. you didn't want to tear 
Donald Trump down? Was that a major factor in you deciding not to go and, 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 full and, and, in and, with and, that and, $10 million? I, I offered to partner with several people. Again, I've created these packs. I mean, I went to the Mercers, the Wilkes, and said, I'll do it if you'll do it. And that's how we put these things together. And um, so I did feel the obligation since I was, the, and a lot of that pressure was, hey, you're the one who got us in. So that was the political <laughs> operations of the people that I encouraged to get in. I felt from the beginning that uh, that people really needed to understand Ted Cruz and that I didn't think he would be a viable candidate if we didn't build Ted up versus spending our time uh, tearing other candidates down. Also, it's really not that good of a strategy to go negative in multi-candidate uh, forums. And if you'll look at the candidates who went negative the first, they were out the first. And starting with Rick Perry, Jeb, I mean, you just see the ones who went negative because it's you, you end up driving up someone, your negatives go down along with the person you went negative on and somebody else's uh, uh, favorables went up. So yeah, that was a big, a big issue for me is the negative campaigns ads weren't working. Uh, but I think one of the big problems is most of the consultants, that's how they know how to do. It's, it's harder to build somebody up then it is, it's a lot easier to tear somebody down. Well, you mentioned uh, the Mercers, and, and when you think the Mercers, oftentimes you think Robert Mercer, uh, who was a very wealthy individual, politically active, uh, but, but Amy and, and Amber, you were talking earlier about mm -hmm. women in politics. Somebody who you don't hear her name a lot, although you, you do a little bit more now, uh, is uh, a, another Mercer, uh, and uh, Amber Mercer. And Rebecca. Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca Mercer, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm looking at Amber. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca Mercer is uh, a major force uh, right now supporting Donald Trump. I'd like to just very quickly get all your opinions because we just simply don't hear a lot about her. Um, what's your take on, on the role she's playing in the Trump campaign, uh, given that uh, she is very instrumental in driving, singular in that sense, and that she is a woman who's supporting Donald Trump in, in as massive a fashion as, as her and her family is? I think so, start um, with you. she's, I read the Washington Post article or the New York Times article uh, last week about her, and she sounds like an incredibly accomplished woman and very smart. Um, obviously, I, I don't know her, so I can't, I don't know that I really feel qualified to speculate on um, why she's doing what she's doing or how she's exactly gotten to that place. That is not a role that um, I myself generally play with campaigns. I think um, my feeling is that I, I want to know what a campaign is doing, how it's spending its money, what its path to victory is, and I like to keep abreast of that through the course of a campaign season. Um, but the reason why we make investments in candidates or in organizations is because we believe these are individuals and groups that are doing good work, that they're run by smart people, um, and that I, I don't really feel a need to be hands-on with them. So it's a very different approach than what I'm accustomed to. I don't think it's good or bad. I just think it's different people have a different approach to this work. Rebecca Mercer, uh, what do you know about her? Do you, are you surprised that, uh, that, that she's become such a, a significant factor? No, like Amy, I, I don't know her personally. And, and I have a little bit of a different approach when I'm involved in campaigns and um, efforts. You know, Amy and I were on the Annie's List board together, and Annie's List, you know, we really try to vet the candidates and the <coughs> campaigns and the women that we recruit and train to, to run. Um, and I do a lot of work in Harris County on the ground, you know, really um, working with field organizations, working with candidates, working with polling, working with messaging. So Steve and I both get involved on a, 
on a you know, day-to-day level in that regard. Um, but like Amy, when we give to an organization, we want to make sure that they could run on their own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on their own. Um, and that's not generally the type of, of involvement that, that I would have. I'm, I'm not sure what's motivating her either. And hopefully, she'll be a good voice for women on his campaign. Well, and can I just jump in with one more thing there? Sure. I think when we give um, philanthropically to, so to 501c3 organizations, um, we nearly always give unrestricted gifts because it's our belief that it's better to let an organization spend the money in the area of greatest need. And we have the same approach to campaigns, too, that it's not, okay, we're going to give you this money, and so you must spend it in this way, um, but rather faith in and knowledge of what the organization is doing and that it's going to fit into the larger picture of the, uh, of the campaign. And not to turn this into a referendum on the Mercers, because yeah. we, we could yeah. be talking about the, the Soroses of the world or the Fred Eichners <laughs> yeah. and, and lots of other Democrats. But Let me jump in Yeah, quick, I'm curious, Toby, very quickly. I know, and, and yeah, I do know Rebecca, and, and I really like Rebecca. She's a brilliant woman. I'm so glad she's involved. She, uh, you're giving her way too much credit, though. Number one, she's not the only woman supporting Donald Trump. I know one other. Um, she's, <clears throat> no, I'm kidding. There are a lot of women who are supporting Donald Trump. So, but she brought in Kellyanne Conway. To her credit, the best thing she does, her super PACs have not had that, you know, that much of any impact on the Cruz campaign or on this campaign so far. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't think they've raised that much money for their super PAC, their Trump PAC. But she, what she and her dad did was go sit down with uh, the Donald and talk to him about his team. His team was failing him. Uh, they didn't have, they weren't controlling the message and all that. And they got, yeah, I don't know, what, what's his name? I don't even remember his name. The guy that's a CEO. Manafort. Bannon, yeah. Oh, but, yeah, not Manafort. Bannon. But, but I do know Kellyanne Conway. She's awesome. She's doing a great job. She's really gotten the message there. She's gotten him under control. He's not as bombastic, obviously. So I give her, Rebecca Mercer, a lot, a lot, a lot of credit for talking some sense into Donald Trump to bring her on board and get her there. And, uh, you know, we'll see if it pays off in the uh, debates on Monday. Toby, your response. I have one more question and then for the audience. We'll oh, no, go no, right I, into I, the Q&A. I, Becca's uh, a close friend, and, and I, I think that uh, she's that's exactly what she's done. She brings a significant amount of intellectual capital, but so does Bob. He's one of the a very smart, thoughtful person, yeah. and they're doing it for the same reasons you you all are doing it. They truly right. care. There's no, I know, had lunch with her this week. I've never heard her say this is an issue. I mean, it is truly. I think the thing that should scare everyone, because the other large, second largest Democratic donor is in the same firm as Bob, and what what I and I was with the other, the first largest office Democratic donor is the large donors, especially in finance, both on the Democrat and the Republican side, actually agree 100% on the issue in the room. Everyone that I'm, that I, and I know both on both sides, they are absolutely scared this country is fixing to implode economically. And uh, I was, again, I was with the largest Democratic donor, uh, one of the top three this week, even in Bob's firm. Uh, I think Simon's number two. They own this firm together. What really the question everyone should be asking is, why are these people so afraid? These people who have so much economic data that have the smartest economic and financial minds in the world so afraid. They come to the solution in a different way, but they're both sides are diagnosing the problem the same. So if anyone has a question, please line up uh, in the front right here. We'll get going in a second. I'll have one more question right now. But ambassadorships, 
Barack Obama had rewarded, if you are cynical about this, uh, a number of very big dollar donors with plum ambassadorships in 2012. Uh, this is something that is not unique to Democrats or no. Republicans. Both sides have done it. Uh, I, I'm curious, Doug, let's start with you, about the notion of patronage. And if you're a big dollar donor and, and you want some plum job uh, as the ambassador to the UK or France or Germany, you're not going to be sent to, you know, Turkmenistan or Chad here. Right. Uh, you pretty much can get something like that uh, if you make a, a very, very big contribution to a campaign. Uh, is that unethical? Is that wrong? Would you like to see a change regardless of who's president uh, coming in 2017? Well, it just depends on their qualifications. You know, I can honestly say I'm not qualified to be an ambassador to any country in the world. So uh, if they offered it to me, I wouldn't take it. I speak, I'm, I'm a typical American. I speak one language and, and can kind of you know, tear up the Spanish language pretty well. But um, I, I don't think it's unethical. I really truly believe that the, it depends on their qualifications and, and what languages they speak and, and that kind of thing. But, but you know, dad, dad and I are not in this. Yeah, we don't care if Trump ever calls us again, recognizes us at a party, that's not the point. To Toby, Amber, Amy, any of you want a, want an ambassadorship? We only, we joke only the Bahamas. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I I agree with Doug. I, I you know I I don't think that anybody's ever been chosen that anybody could point out and say that person was incompetent yeah, or incapable of doing it and. Um, Although there but have been a couple of people who've gone up before the Senate, and the Senate's like, ooh, that, we, we're no go here. Uh, well, that's the point. There's, right. a, we're not looking there's for a check it. on it. Yeah, there's a check. Mm -hmm. I don't looking. want to be. I live in Puerto yeah. Rico. Yeah. I do not want to be sent to the Bahamas <laughs> under Puerto any Rico. circumstances. <laughs> Amy, we, we will not see AMB period before your name. Well, I hope so. not. Okay. I would love that. Because <laughs> I'm with Doug in that I, I, I really only speak English and would not have qualifications. <laughs> for an ambassadorship. But I, I mean, I do think that the, the point of this is that, you know, you might, hopefully we're all supporting candidates who, if they're in the position to make decisions about ambassadorships or other political appointments, that they're making good decisions. And they, you know, they're, they're meeting people, whether they're either career public servants or people that they've met in business or in the course of the campaign, um, who are qualified to do the jobs that they're being appointed to. Great, we'll go into Q&A uh, right now. Before we do, just uh, a note, uh, please ask a question. Don't make a speech. Uh, <laughs> be respectful uh, and uh, just direct your question if you want to to the whole panel or if you want to talk to a specific person, uh, mention their name and I'll repeat the question for the audience's benefit. Also, please identify yourself uh, when you're asking your question with your name and any affiliation that you may have. And we'll start over here. Thank you. My name's Hasib Abdullah, I'm a resident here in Austin, and my question to the whole panel is, um, the RNC and the DNC require their uh, Congress members and the senators to call, sometimes a majority of their time when they're in session, call um, um, uh, people to donate money to their campaigns or the RNC and DNC in general, because gerrymandering, they don't have to even worry too much about um, uh, money for their own personal campaigns. Um, do you not agree that's kind of like um, a new type of union where the RNC and DNC to get good committee chairmanships and other things, they're requiring their members to do that. And isn't their concept right to work not working in Congress because um, they're spending so much time with the... So it sounds like this is a question in part about time. Uh, and, and I would put the question, let, let's start, Amber, uh, we'll just go down the panel. Uh, do politicians, are they required to spend too much time fundraising? Because I've talked to some, they're like, yep, you know, three, four, five hours a day sometime on the phone in addition to that breakfast fundraiser and that evening cocktail fundraiser. And 
you know, if you're spending your whole life fundraising, well, what are you doing when it comes to legislating or constituent service? What's your take on it? Yes. How do you <laughs> yeah, fix it? it. I, I don't know how to yeah. fix it. I, I don't have an answer to that, but I do think they spend an absolute in, inordinate amount of time on fundraising. And, and you know, these are uh, most people who, who, if not career politicians, and know the system and have... Um, you know, a fire in their belly for wanting to do whatever it is that they've been sent there to do, or have been people who have tremendously accomplished in the private sector and then moved into politics, they spend an inordinate amount of their time dialing for dollars. So, Toby, should we have some British-style election season where it's just going to be, you know, what, 90 days or a certain time period? Or, or do you like the laissez-faire, anything goes, people can do whatever the heck they want to type system? Or is there a third option? It, it, it's completely disgusting. I'm so glad my dad, this is his last term. Uh, oh, and nice. I don't know what the answer is. But anyone who thinks that being a congressman or a senator is a glamorous job, it's truly the worst job I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. So how do you really feel about it? Yeah, that's, I'll try to be a little more dramatic. It, it, I don't have the answer, uh, and it, it is, it's, it's terrible. Especially the two years you know, for a congressman. I think yeah. we have this beautiful constitution that's such a wonderful document and a wonderful way to run our country. Uh, along with all the amendments that were added along the way. But, you know, one, one of the things that just makes no sense is to, to have uh, congressmen serve for two years mm -hmm. because they're, they're, every minute that they can, they have to go fundraise. So would you like campaign. to see a, a House member serve four years, six Well, years. I would, yeah, yeah. but, you know, I don't, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> I, I don't think uh, Governor Abbott and his Texas plan where he's proposed nine amendments to the Constitution, I don't think that's one of them. <laughs> but... It, you know, it's just a shame they have to spend so much time because they don't get to do what they want to go do. You know, Pete Sessions is my congressman. He's a great friend. I love him, and I help him. But it's just too bad that he has to spend so much time out trying to raise money. And, you know, he does do block walking and meet with his constituents and town hall meetings and that kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a lot of campaigning instead of working on the, the subject that well, they're Well, Amy, you, uh, politicians, uh, candidates running for office, uh, sure, oftentimes they'll get small dollar donations, as we've discussed about, in, in, in a massive way in some cases. But for those fundraisers, especially exclusive ones, which you, you've got to put $250 minimum in to get, get into, uh, you're, you're not spending time with poor people uh, in, in those fundraisers. You spend time with people who have the money to do it. Uh, does that somehow skew or warp the political system when candidates and elected officials are hearing so much from folks who have the means to get into those exclusive events? Well, of course it does. And I, I mean, I think that you can look at that, whether it's an event where you have to spend $500 to get in the door, um, which is a lot of money, or when you look at um, people who, like those of us on the stage who are giving to super PACs, um, there is a huge income inequality problem in this country, and it is gendered and it is racial, um, and it plays out in our campaign finance system and in the way that money is raised and spent in politics in this country. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. My name is Hussein Al-Khafaji, and I'm a student here at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, the Supreme Court ruling in 2010 on Citizens United is democratically flawed. Uh, how can you guys make the argument that unlimited super PAC and special interest spending isn't a form of legal bribery? 
Legal what? Bribery. Legal bribery. Oh, bribery. So the question is about Citizens United and whether this is something that effectively should, should go away, should be legal. Uh, open it up. Yeah, I'd be happy to take it on real quick just to say that, number one, the candidates have nothing to do with the super PACs whatsoever. So that, that whether it's Democrats or Republicans, you know, that they can't control. Hillary Clinton can't control the super PACs. She can sit and say all day long, as Donald Trump can, I don't want super PACs working on my behalf. But they're still going to. So I don't see how that's bribery. At the end of the day, each person on this stage has one vote, right? And so your vote's the same, equal to my vote. If I could just and, burn that for and I can just burn, I can go burn all the money I want to try and influence <laughs> votes, and it's really not going to work okay. very well. Quick follow-up. Uh, if you could just rationalize this for me. If uh, I were, say, running for a public office and you were a member of the AARP, mm -hmm. and you, saw, you organized maybe a political donation of a very large amount, where would I be in a logical state of mind to not incentivize Medicaid expansion, even if that was against my platform or the constituents in my uh, region? And on the second note, if you say it's one person, one vote, and your votes were $10 million, and it takes 500,000 vote. So to distill that down I, I, to, and follow up, do you expect some sort of return on your investment when you make a contribution? Do you expect a, a member of Congress or a presidential candidate to think the way that you're thinking when, when you put a lot of money forward? Well, I've never met a candidate yet who thinks like I think. So <laughs> I, I'm the only person I've ever met who does, and, I would, and I'm not running for office. So, you know, you always compromise. When I was, at, when I was in college, and I'm the only uh, baby boomer up here, in 1984, uh, I was at the University of Arkansas, and I voted, and I had signs in my yard in my car, Clinton for uh, governor, Reagan for president. And everybody thought I was nuts. And I said, I'm an independent. You know, and at that time, Clinton was a really good conservative, great guy. My uh, ex-stepfather was from Hope, Arkansas, so I'd met him several times, and I liked him. And, you know, I had one vote then, and I have one vote now. I, I just don't think money has, I think it gets all blown out of proportion on what influence the actual money has on the candidates. Well, I don't expect. But, but I'd also like to, but, I, but I'd. But let, let the panelists answer, please. I, yeah. I would like to add, add to that. In my view, in my opinion, you have it a little bit backwards because we raise money and give to candidates who believe in what we believe in. So I don't think there's any of us up here who's ever gone to a politician and said, you know, I gave you money, I want right. this contract, right. I want you to do X, Y, and Z. Now, we may go and say, you know, we helped raise money for you. You said you were going to do Medicaid expansion. Please do it. it. It's important to us. It's important to you know the people that you say you represent. So, I, in my view, the way I see it, it it's a little bit backwards. I, I only donate to candidates and organizations who mostly, generally, maybe not on yeah. every issue, but mostly agree with you know the way I see things politically. But Amy, is this a chicken and an egg debate in the sense that uh, it, you've got to buy yourself into the door to have that conversation in the first place? Uh, is how do you see it? Well, um, I mean, I, I agree that Citizens United is a flawed decision. I don't know that I would, uh, I don't think I would go so far as to call it bribery because I don't think that's what it is. But I do feel like, um, as Amber said, that the, the, from the way I see it, that my challenge as a donor is to find the candidates and the organizations that are doing work on the issues that I care about and then to lift them up, whether that's through donations, which is, of course, the probably the most significant way in which I can help, but in also raising money from other people, um, even things like talking about them on social media, because if they're doing this good work and they believe in some or all of the issues that I believe in, 
uh, then it's not, as Amber said, these are smart people that, um, that I've supported in the past, and they don't need me to tell them what to think. They already know what they think. There are a lot of people in the public, though, who are very skeptical and say, well, if somebody's contributing $10 million to a super PAC, well, they're going to get a heck of a lot more attention. And if they have some very specific special interests that they want to get before the candidate, then that candidate is definitely going to listen to them and not, you know, the old lady in Topeka, Kansas, who sure. you know, wants something else. Um, what's your response to, to, that, to that notion? Well, uh, I think that goes back to um, what I've said a couple of times on this panel, is that, in my view, that is why unlimited money in politics is not a public good, um, and why we need serious campaign finance reform, because that is, it's not a just system, and it's not one that serves our democracy well. Right. Well, let's move on to my students. Yes, David Albert, professor of government. Um, one question that I raise with my students in U.S. government classes or Texas government classes is America becoming an oligarchy. And I think, and I'd like you to, to put this in context, not just of the presidential race where there's some unique issues of small donors, but across the political world of Congress and legislatures, is what you're doing create undermining our democracy and creating more of an oligarchy today. The question yes. is oligarchy, Toby. <laughs> yes, but it isn't us. Um, Fed policy is creating an oligarchy. Uh, and, and, and what that means is, is we have a policy right now which is to uh, increase asset prices. We have assets and uh, it's not creating real wage growth for the middle class. And so I, I absolutely believe that, uh, that the United States is dangerously close to being captured by the financial sector, which I am in. And, uh, and it is creating huge wealth distortions, all in the name of, of, of su supposed, and it's completely failed, real wages have not increased for the middle class in 40 years. And uh, we've printed $4.5 trillion, and that hasn't changed at all. And so that's what concerns me. I mean, I, I, do, I do think it's the Fed policy of inflating people who have assets, make them worth more, is a real big problem. So we, we have a limited amount of time left, and I'd love to get to everyone's questions. How, how much time do we have? Okay, so we're going to have to go very quickly. We'll, we'll take two more questions very, very quickly, and then we've got to cut it off. So, ma'am, please. I'm Grace Shemaine with the League of Women Voters of Texas, and I'd like to challenge you guys that it's not just campaigns we need to work on, but in Texas especially, we have a very low voter turnout, primaries and general elections. To donate to some organizations, perhaps that would, or <laughs> <laughs> working on generally trying to increase voting in Texas, because I think we'll have a better democracy if more people vote in the primaries and the do. general election. Yeah. We do. We all do, right? Yeah. I mean, we all work on go, donate to get out the vote efforts that, that you know, you can't, generally you can't do a get out the vote effort that's uh, biased to one side or the other, right? I mean, Daniel Garza would know better than I do, but. <laughs> The, uh, then it's just field. Um, then it's just a field organization, right? Yeah, it's just, just a field organization. They're going out there. So it's about voter turnout. Now, you know, of course, you can target who you're trying to get to vote, right? So they've shown some propensity in the past to vote like you want them to vote. So that's who you go after. But uh, well, that's Absolutely. what I mean. I'm in a voter turnout from 2012 to uh, or 11, I guess to or yeah, 12 to 16, and um, it was. You know, a lot of people coming out 
frankly, for Trump or against Trump, in the Republicans, on the Democrats, you know, for or against Bernie. It just, there was just a lot of strong feelings, and so a lot of people came out. And so, we, you know, we're targeting those people to try and get them to come back. You know, frankly, we're trying to get them to punch R and go home. Yeah. So far, <laughs> But I agree with you, Grace, because, I mean, to, what are we, what are we, 50th in voter turnout yeah. in this state? Uh, maybe 49th. We, I don't know. We may have bumped up a little, but um, registration and, and uh, engaging non-voters in the process is so important. And I think that goes to us asking the candidates that we're supporting to really support progressive policies or you know policies that non-voters actually care about. There's so little. They feel so little connection to the process. Mm -hmm. So final question, because uh, I'm sure everyone is eager to line up. Uh, in front of the food trucks uh, outside uh, for lunch. Go ahead, please. Hi, I'm TJ Hoffman. I'm from Houston, Texas, and I have a question kind of about the allocation of resources. So I'm a volunteer coordinator in the greater Houston area, um, and I've noticed since, the, since I started doing this a couple years ago that it's been interesting to um, successfully allocate resources to where the people are. So right now, I'll use an example. I have a weekly phone bank that meets on Sundays, and we've got about 60 people to 100 people who have made about 15,000 calls in the last six weeks. And we are currently in the process of hustling for space, trying to find things to make calls from and that sort of thing. When we don't get the resources that we need, and you definitely have provided the resources that we need, so I'm not asking for money. I just want to clarify that. Um, how do, is that, do you think that that is from a lack of coordination or that we should take that as a communication that there is just, we don't matter, um, or, that, or, or that the resources need to go somewhere else? Um, how should we interpret that, and what should we do about it? Because I worry about volunteer turnout, these volunteers who are coming out to work for candidates that they believe in feel disenfranchised from the campaigns, and what does that do to their ultimate turnout in their communities? Panel. Mm -hmm. well, are you working on a presidential yeah. phone bank? So but I've done mayoral, gubernatorial, yeah, it's just hard city in, council. It's hard in Texas because, you, you know, we get so little presidential attention, yeah. and that means resources. And I think, too, you know, it's always... That's always the struggle for any organization is that you always need more. Um, you always need more people, you need more votes, you need more resources, and it's fundraising effort that you'd want to do that. So I, um, regardless of whom you're volunteering for, I want to say that what you're doing is so important because having people engaged in the democratic process in this way is such a wonderful thing for our state and our country. Um, and so I hope that you and your volunteers will not take this as um, you know, a lack of interest in the important efforts that you're engaged with, um, but rather just a, a fact that it's, it's, there's never enough to go around. Final question to go right down the line. Will Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton win Texas in your mega donor expert opinion? Toby. Oh, he'll win Texas for sure. Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump will win Texas Donald Trump? Too. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I think Trump will win. <laughs> well, there you go. Texas is staying red, but yeah. plenty green, too. Yeah. Anyway, thank you all very much. Really appreciate it.